Well, this week um, I went down with a friend to visit someone in hospital. Not on. I thought I was on. Okay, try again. No? This week, no. It's green. (laughs) (laughs) It was our Jonathan's. (laughs) This week, I went with a friend to visit another friend to a hospital and this friend's husband had been in hospital for many months and uh, So we wanted to go somewhere within the hospital that was quiet so we could talk. So we went into a hospital lounge and as we walked in, there was a family over on to the right of us and our daytime TV was blaring and it looked as if this family had been sitting around waiting for a very long time. They were kind of mesmerised and zoned out by what was beaming into that room. And so the three of us chose a corner of the room to sit and talk. And as we were talking, all of a sudden, onto that screen in that room burst the cross of Jesus Christ and Jesus on that cross. And it kind of catapulted in to wake us up or or, or wake the people that were in that room up from the numbingness of of daytime TV. And I don't know whether it was because we had actually, the three of us, been talking about God and faith and how God sustains us in trials and suffering or whether it was actually the cross itself. But an interesting thing happened. One of the members of that family, a woman, turned to us and she literally had a scornful look on her face and she got up and she walked out of the room. And it's been my observation that God's creation gets offended or even worse still, is indifferent to the cross and the meaning of the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ comes in and catapults into our lives in an uncomfortable way and shakes our ordinary, mediocre, comfortable lives. And even as Christians, many of us are often bystanders to the significance and the need for the cross. Oswald Chambers once said, all heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. All hell is terribly afraid of it, while men are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning. And, you know, I think our world has a malaise, an illness that is psychological and spiritual. Psychologists tell us that the greatest determinant of good mental health is how grounded we are in reality. And the Bible has a lot to say about the reality of our soul. In Psalm 53, sorry, 
in Psalm 51. It says, Surely I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And in Romans 7.18, Paul says, I know that nothing good lives within me that is within my sinful nature. The Bible clearly says that we are sinful. We were born into sin and we wrestle with a sinful nature every day of our lives. Now, this isn't a popular philosophy. Satan has been really successful in deluding the world that we are inherently good. And so the cross comes in and speaks to a world that holds fast to that philosophy and they see it as an offence. The cross tells me that my heart is twisted and wicked beyond my understanding. It tells me that my sin is so serious that it demands a judgment. And, you know, this false philosophy of inherent goodness, it just hasn't worked. Depression, domestic violence, greed, moral decline, murder, insolence, rudeness, despair, pornography, suicide, divorce, the list goes on and it's all increasing. For enlightened souls who, who don't need a saviour, who don't recognise that we are sinners, who find the cross offensive, we're actually not doing very well, are we? You know, there are those who have recognised their sin and their need for a saviour, but I've observed that apart from those, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are in denial that sin, sin exists, that God exists and that they are sinful. Oh, they can accept that a man who keeps his daughter in a basement for 24 years, who rapes her and has children to her, is inherently evil. But they can't accept that their self-sufficiency apart from God is also sinful. So selfishness becomes disguised as successfulness. Rudeness is disguised as assertiveness. Greed is disguised as ambition. Manipulation and control is disguised as love. Pornography and the desire to humiliate is described as adult maturity. Bertrand Russell wrote... This is a primitive doctrine. No one who is profoundly human can really believe that God would punish sin like that. But he does. And the second kind of people, apart from those who find it offensive or ignore it, are those who are racked with a deep sense that they are all too sinful, that they are unworthy and there is no hope. Perhaps their backgrounds have been so painful and wounded that they come to hate themselves and others. Many slide into despair, depression, drugs, disobedience, and ultimately dis destruction. So the cross today catapults us into reality. 
into the truth of our souls, that unless we acknowledge the true state of our sinfulness, we will never truly be healthy. We will never be able to rise above mediocrity. To quote some sort of analogy, we will always enjoy or live daytime TV instead of mission impossible. So what does the impact of the cross say to us this Easter in 2009? Well, it says that as we are, we are not enough. And it says that behind the order of this world, there is a creator with certain attributes, certain personality and certain standards that man would rather ignore, that he is a holy God, that he is a just God. Sometimes I think we've forgotten about the holiness and the awe of our God. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters said, if you want to defeat them, then distract them. And boy, have we been distracted from the cross. We've been distracted from recognising the true state of our souls. We've been distracted with daytime TV so that the priorities of God have become different to our priorities. We've been distracted with ourselves. H.G. Wilson said, many have gone from saying he is everything to I am somebody. But God is holy and he hates sin, the sin that people do to us, the sin that people do to themselves and the sin that people do to God. And he loves us, though, at the same time so much that instead, like a father, getting mad and staying mad at us, and the Bible calls that wrath, he projected all of that anger onto atoning substitute for us and so into our lives once again. The cross is projected and we can't ignore it. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in Colossians 2, 13 to 14, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, and he took it away and he nailed it to the cross the marvellous, glorious cross. So the cross not only magnifies our own sin, but it magnifies God's holiness and his love at the same time. You know, I was looking at the TV the other night and there was a documentary on South Africa. And South Africa, I don't know if you know, but at the moment it's in the middle of um, candidacy and electing a new president the head running, the, the person that's in the lead running for candidacy in South Africa has been to court 38 times on embezzlement, fraud and rape charges. 
and has got off every time. You know, I am so glad that at the core of the universe is a ruler whose standards are so high, whose standards are perfection, who has such integrity and such holiness that he will never, ever compromise. I am so glad that I can trust him. Ezekiel 38, 23 says, And so I will show my greatness and my holiness, and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. God cannot relax his holy standards, otherwise we would be lost living under a vicarious God who in the end would probably be corrupt. So Christ takes our punishment instead. In Isaiah 53 it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Why do I need to understand about my sin and God's marvellous plan for me through the cross of Jesus Christ? Well, God wants us to change. He wants you and I to be different. He wants you and I to rise above the mediocrity that so easily ensnares us. He sees the potential in you and he wants you to be all you can be. He wants you to be in heaven with him forever and he will go to any lengths, even sacrificing his own son to die in your place. You know, there were three people in the story that Karen spoke to us and three of those people initially were far away from Jesus. In fact, many of them were involved in the brutalisation of Jesus But each one, as they encountered Jesus and his cross, they were transformed. They were changed. Simon was a man that came up from Cyrene, which was a town in northern Africa. And he was going there to the Passover. And as we heard, it was told that he had two sons, Alexander and Rufus. And we're told later on, when Mark wrote his gospel, some 60 to 80 years later, that these two men, the sons of Simon, were featured prominently in the Christian church. And in fact, In Romans, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he said, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me. So this same Simon, who lined the streets of Jerusalem and watched Jesus and two others as they wound their way through the dusty streets towards a hill called Calvary and saw the brutalised Lord, who was wit beyond recognition, scriptures tell us, was thrust into the story by a centurion and was forced to carry Jesus' cross. We can't ever really know what it was that 
transformed this man. Perhaps it was when he looked into Jesus' eyes and truly saw God. Perhaps it was Jesus' blood which dripped on him as he laboured with that cross that transformed his life, that highlighted his own sinfulness. All we know is that this man and his family were forever changed through the cross of Jesus Christ. There was another man in the story, a Roman centurion, and we're told that this man was actually the leader of the execution squad. And as such, he would have overseen the punishment, the brutalisation that took place for Jesus, wit and wit beyond recognition, and he did nothing to stop that. But as he was underneath the cross, as he peered into Jesus' face, as he saw the sky turn to darkness for three hours, as he heard our Lord saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do instead of insults that were usually being hurled by the criminals to the executioners. He said, surely, surely this is the Son of God forever transformed by the shadow of the cross. And lastly, there was another man. He was beside Jesus when he was dying on the cross. His compatriot hurled insults at Jesus, insults due to the offence of the cross. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turned to Jesus and he said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, here is a beautiful picture of what our Lord's cross means and what it does. Here this man recognised completely his own sinfulness and understood what punishment was deserved. Yet through the cross this man's life was changed forever. You know, I have a confession to make. There's something I can't stand and I've given my life for it. I can't stand people being stuck in their pain and in their sin. I just can't stand it. And the truth is that unless people thirst to see the need for the cross of forgiveness from sin in their daily lives, they will never, ever be transformed. They will always live lives of mediocrity. No, you know, I'm involved in counselling and over the years I can honestly say before God that the greatest healing 
that can ever come to man is when we recognise our own sinfulness, that we confess, we repent and are forgiven. I've seen it time and time again. Just a few weeks ago, a woman did exactly that and said that for the first time in 24 years, she felt free. She felt changed. She felt different. She was thirsting for more than mediocrity and she found her answer through the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5, we're told, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become, become, change. We might become the righteousness of God. So what does God want us to do? How should we respond to this marvellous gift, this wonderful hope that we have? Well, for a start, he hates our mediocrity. He hates our indifference. In Revelation 3, 15 to 17, and again in 19 to 21, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. And this was written by the inspired word of the Apostle Paul to churches, to Christians. And he says, I know your deeds. I know that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, because you are mediocre, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Strong words. What a challenge. Oh, you say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. I don't need the cross. I don't need to live in the shadow of the cross every day of my life. But you do not realise you are wretched, you are pitiful, you are poor, you are blind and you are naked. Those whom I love I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, says Jesus, here I am. Oh, that we would ignore the cross at our peril that we would be indifferent to the cross in our daily lives, in our peril. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Does anyone hear? Is anyone hearing today? If anyone hears today his voice, and you open the door. You might have been a Christian for a long time, but you know you're sinning. Or you may never have asked Jesus into your life and known what it is to fully live. Open the door. I will come in and eat with him and he with me.
To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. It's not daytime TV. It's mission impossible. That's the life we have in Jesus Christ, to him who overcomes, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. What does God want you to do this Easter? Well, he wants you to thirst for more than mediocrity in your life and he has made a way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Now there was one other person in the Easter story that we struggled to mention because by the time Jesus was crucified, he was already dead, literally, in his sins. His name was Judas. But there is a clue as to how to live beyond mediocre. In Matthew 27, 3 to 4, it says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they said. That is your responsibility. I have sinned. That is your responsibility. God wants us to do three things. He wants us to stop being a bystander and he wants us to become like Simon and enter into the life of the cross daily. He wants us to take responsibility for our own sin, as the chief priests told Judas. And he wants us to recognise Jesus for who he is in our life every day, just as the Roman centurion said, surely this is the Son of God. Confess your sin. Accept reality of your life. You are saved from being in sin, but are still prone to sin and need the cross daily in your life. Decide to live free. Decide to live fully. Understand that not only can your sins be forgiven through the cross, but through the power of that cross, sinful habits can be overcome, negative attitudes can be reversed, strained relationships can be mended, talents can be sharpened, poor personalities, traits can be refined, and dangerous temptations can be resisted. The psalmist told us, to search me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way within me. And when I've done that, lead me into the path of everlasting life. And you know, if you do this, if you do this daily, because God is holy and he's serious about our sin, there are incredible benefits. You know, thirsting for more in our lives than mediocrity and understanding that we can only have an abundant life as we live in the shadow of the cross, examining ourselves daily, surrendering more, being transformed into his likeness gives us a joy, 
a passion for life, of unhindered freedom and yet safety as well. It gives us life and life in all its fullness. You know, as I have come to the cross and I confess it is not daily and it's not often enough but it needs to be, I've realised a few wonderful things. I've learned to surrender more and more to Jesus. I've learned to try to not be a people pleaser but be a God pleaser. I've learned that I'm to be fully present when someone is in their pain but when I leave, leave them to Jesus. I've learned that I cannot change a person, only they can when they face the reality and the truth of their soul. I have learned that thirsting to a life that isn't mediocre comes with it responsibility. I've learned that there but for the grace of God and his cross go I, how close I come to being as sinful and as bitter as anyone else. I've learned that unless I live in the shadow of the cross, I will never truly be free. I've learned that you'll always have people who deny their own sin and want to lash out and blame others. I've learned that there will always be people who are so consumed by their own unworthiness, fear, self-centeredness and sin that they refuse to take the bold steps to living other than mediocre. I've learned that to live other than mediocre requires a deep thirst for the things of God and a realistic view of the truth of our souls. Jesus said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And I've learnt that Romans also tells us that in all these things, when we do this, We can be changed, but not just changed. We can become more than conquerors through him who loved us, through the cross of Jesus Christ, through what Jesus did for us this Good Friday. A great teacher once said that the world has yet to see what one person who is fully surrendered to God, can do to change the world. I want to be world changer. I don't want mediocre. I don't want daytime TV. I want mission impossible. In order to do that, I need to know the state of my soul, the reality of who I am and move and live within the shadow of the cross every day of my life so I can live free and be all God wants me to be. Church, today, 
on this most sacred of days. Don't live in denial of the true state of your soul. Live above mediocrity. Live always in the shadow of the cross and make your life count for Jesus. It really is the best decision and the best ongoing decision you will ever make. Let's pray. Oh, loving Jesus, we come before you and we thank you so much for your cross. We thank you that you remind us from your word yet again how truly we need to live in the shadow of that cross every day of our lives so that we can be truly free and be all that you mean us to be. To thirst, Lord, planting us a deep thirst, a deep hunger to be more, more than mediocre. Lord, grant to us a pure heart and lead us into the life that is everlasting, that is a conquering life that can only be lived as we live in you and in the shadow of your marvellous cross. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.